Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, my friend. Welcome back. Welcome back to The Conversation. Now, you probably know, but I don't know if you know, but the focus of my career, the focus of my coaching career, and my life for the most part, is about self-concept. The stories that we tell about who we are in our relationship to reality, our ability to manifest, create, and express ourselves in the world. At the center of it all is our story, is our identity, our self-concept. Now, I can't remember the exact time when I really became conscious of self-concept as the governing force in our life, but I know the seeds were planted when I read the book Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. Now, that was almost 40 years ago in my early 20s, but it made such a deep impact on my thinking that I know for a fact that it has guided me to this point today where I work in reconstructing people's self-identities and their self-concepts in a way where they're empowered to create the life that they want. And that book, I could probably count on my, my list of top 10 books that have changed my thinking, changed my life. Now, there's been other influences and other information since then that has broadened out my ideas of self-concept. But Psycho-Cybernetics was definitely one of the most influential books early on. Now, if you don't know anything about Psycho-Cybernetics or Maxwell Maltz, Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon, and he found it intriguing, downright baffling, how his patients would come in suffering from low self-esteem, supposedly from physical flaws in their image, which Maxwell Maltz was able to correct. But what baffled him was that even after the surgery, even after the changes in physical appearance, the people still had the same story. They still had the same self-concept. And while many of them were pleased with the physical changes that they were able to get from plastic surgery, their inner story was still the same. They still suffered from a poor self-image. And you still see it today again and again. You'll see people that have invested in plastic surgery to change this or tweak that. And it's almost addictive because they change one thing and then they have to change another. It's actually very rare that someone changes one little aspect of their physical appearance and are completely satisfied with it. If they go in for one item, let's say a nose job, sometimes they're not happy with the nose job. Like it could have been better. It could have done better. They were hoping for, you know, some bigger change, but maybe they're happy with the nose job. Then they need to get their eyes done. Well, how, how about a facelift? How about a fanny lift? Cheek implants, lip implants, or lip, uh, I don't know. that. Now, I know for a fact that it's not just women that engage in plastic surgery. There's a lot of men, a lot of men, they, they just don't brag about it. But underneath this, this need or compulsion to keep tweaking things, keep embellishing things, is because even though they address the physical attributes on the outside, the physical expression, they never come to terms with the inner story. They never correct the 
self-image on the inside. They're hoping that if they change enough things on the outside, that sooner or later this inner story will fall in line, which unfortunately it rarely does. Have you ever heard the term, the phrase, wherever you go, there you are? It's this idea that you can change locations. You can go and look for a fresh start. But wherever you take yourself, there you go. And you still have the same story. Sometimes people trade in their old relationships, hoping for a new adventure with somebody else, only to find out that they repeat the same patterns, that the same dynamics are present, only in a different form. Recreating the same dynamics, the same mistakes, again and again. And it seems as if it's the people that they pick. But if you've been in a number of relationships, if you have a dynamic that occurs again and again in your life, you have to look at what is the common denominator? What is present in every situation? Often that is us. We are the source of all our troubles. We're the source of all our problems. It's not what happens outside. It's who we're being on the inside. It's the story that we're telling ourselves about our life that's attracting the circumstances, the people, the situations in our life, either to our benefit or to our detriment. Whichever side of the coin it's falling, it is the story that we're telling about our life that's propagating those results. Now, this episode is the first one in a series where we'll be focusing more directly on our self-concept, on our self-identity, on the story that we're telling about ourselves. And while virtually every episode has to do with our self-concept and our relationship to reality, we're going to get a little more granular in our looking at self-concept, in our discussing our story that we're telling. And yes, I did a few podcast episodes ago talk about how we're going to talk about manifesting. You see, we cannot talk about manifesting without talking about self-concept, about talking about your story, because the stories that we tell attract the things that in our life. We cannot attract things that we don't believe on a certain level that we deserve. So our story and our our self-concept are intimately interwoven with our ability to manifest our life, manifest our reality. And while you may not be aware of how story plays in your life, at the center of your life, you may not be aware of the the particular narratives that you tell yourself or that uh, you may not even recognize them as a story. To you, that's the facts. It's the way things are. And it's why things are the way they are. But, you know, it originates when we're kids. Why is the sky blue? Why does a zebra have stripes? Dan, I want you to go to bed in 15 minutes. Why? Why do I have to go to bed now? Why can't I stay up? Because I said so. Well, that doesn't seem like a good enough story to explain why I need to go to bed now. I'm not tired. I said, go to bed. <laughs> I never wanted to go to bed. It seemed like all it actually seemed like all the cool stuff went on after I went to bed. But my my point is is that the only way you can answer the question why is with a story. 
in the 80s, I remember learning about a Stanford professor, a professor of literature. He told his students that 99% of the class is lecture. There's only going to be one written assignment, and that will come at the end of the semester. And the students were wondering, wow, this is going to be one doozy of an assignment if, you know, 100% of our grade rests on one paper. And so when it came time for this assignment at the end of the semester, he told everyone to get ready to get out their, their books, and they needed to answer this question. There was no limit to how short or how long the paper could be, but they had to address this one question. And he wrote on the chalkboard, why? Question mark. And everyone's like, what do you mean, why? What do you mean, why? He said, write an answer to why. And so people worked laboriously. They had an entire week to write this paper. Some people wrote 10,000 words. Some people wrote one page explanation. A couple people wrote a paragraph. The person that received the A in the class wrote one word, a one-word response. And that word was because. You see, when you ask the question why, you can say because, and then anything after that is a story. Anything after that is some rationale, some narrative, some explanation as to why things are the way they are. It doesn't have to be the truth, and more often than not, it's not the truth. It's not the whole truth. It might be an aspect of the truth, or it could be something completely made up. But it doesn't really matter, because it pacifies, it satisfies that vacuum in our mind that's placed there about why. Why did this happen? Why am I the way I am? Why, why, why? And so, as a matter of course, we've come up with stories to explain or create a rationale about why things are the way they are. Why is it I only have a certain amount of money flowing in? Why is it that I always have the same experience in love? Why, why, why did this happen to me? And most often, this story that we create as to why things are the way they are, we think we're just reporting. We're just taking account of, you know, we have a certain set of circumstances, and these are the reasons why it happened. But what we don't completely realize is that once we adopt a story, once we adopt a rationale of explanation, we tend to use that story to project out into the future. That's referred to as predictive forecasting. See, anytime that we set out to do something, we look at our past results, we look at our past efforts, and we try and project out in the future on what might happen. How might things go? Because, frankly, the mind doesn't like the unknown. It's a little scary. So we like to have a sense or at least a feeling that um, we know how things are going to turn out. And we don't even take notice that things invariably fall right in alignment with what we expect. And this, my friend, is law of attraction. If you expect things to show up a certain way, if you have an idea of how things must be or how they will typically go, you leave little room for other things to show up. Little room for other possibilities. Psychology has referred to this as the self-fulfilling prophecy. 
You see, what you believe will happen, what you think will happen, invariably happens. And even if something a little odd happens, it doesn't quite happen the way you think it will, you will force fit it into your story to make sense of it. And psychologists refer to that as the confirmation bias. We tend to take the elements of a story, elements of the circumstances that occur in our life, and we fit them into the narrative that we're familiar with. In order for us to have a sense of um, continuity, a sense of uh, a constancy in our life, we don't necessarily like surprises unless you have a story that you like surprises. You like the unknown. You like the adventure. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But for most people, our stories help provide constancy, a sense of continuity, pretty much that we know how today is going to go. We know how tomorrow is going to go. There's no surprises in our relationships. And you might be asking, do we have stories everywhere? And the answer is yes. We have stories about our relationship. Let's say you have a relationship with a significant other. You have a story or you have a story together when it it could be commonly told, or you may have different stories. How did you come together? What's the origin of your relationship? What is the foundation of your relationship? It's all a story. Do you have an ongoing romance or is the honeymoon over? You have a, a story about why they are the way they are. What is their typical mood? How are they in the world? You see, that story that you tell about your significant other is just a story. It's not the truth. It's one perception of a whole constellation of beliefs and values and behaviors that are there. But to keep our story simplistic, we tend to select just a few character attributes, just a few items about our significant other that we use to describe them and how we describe their relationship to us. Sometimes it's very flattering, sometimes not so much. But understand that no matter what story you tell about your significant other, it's just a story. It's not the truth. It's not the whole truth. It's not the whole story that could be told about this magnificent person that you're in relationship with. It's an illusion. Yet, if you're out with a friend and they ask, how's the relationship going? You relay the story. And the story is not the truth. It's just one perspective on the entire dynamic, a whole series of dynamics that are going on. So we have stories about our relationships. We have stories about our health and why we are in the shape that we're in or not in the shape that we're in. We have stories about how easy or hard it is to put weight on or take it off. We have stories about how attractive we are or whether or not we're attractive at all, whether we repel people or attract people. We not only have stories about our partners, but we have stories about ourselves, on how lucky we are, how unlucky we are, how productive we are or unproductive. Are we organized or unorganized? Are we a good planner or not so much? We have stories all over the place that explains every little aspect of our behavior, of our being. And just like I said earlier about the stories that we tell about our partners, the stories that we tell about ourselves are not the whole story. It's not even the truth. It's just one version of any number of possible ideas that we could be telling. Now, understand that by and large, we are in the business of creating stories that report on, that give an account of the way things are. 
So by the end of this series on self-identity, self-concept, the story that we're telling, we'll be telling a story from a generative nature, stories that generate the future, that create a future for us to live into. But understand right now, by and large, we tell stories that give an account of why things are the way they are. They explain past decisions because whatever's present in your life today, whatever's present right now, is the result of beliefs, values, and decisions that were made a year ago, five years ago, last week, yesterday. It doesn't explain what's happening in the future, except when we fall into the category of the predictive forecasting. See, when we're taking a look at tomorrow, we essentially take the past and force-fit it into the future. I'll take more of the same, please, because it's familiar. I know what's coming. It may not be the most elegant. It may not be the most flattering. It may not even be the most attractive possibility, but I know what I'm getting. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek. I'm being a little flippant, but by and large, that's the way it goes. We essentially take our last three to five experiences in any particular area, and we just move them out into the future. We kind of think, well, this has been a pattern, so I can just expect more of the same. Well, I'm a pattern interrupter, and we're here to interrupt the patterns. But before we can interrupt the patterns, we have to identify the patterns. So here's your assignment. Here's what you can do, an action step to put this into use. Rather than just sit back, you know, vacantly and passively listening to the sound of my voice, you can actually begin thinking about this. You have three to five significant stories that you tell about your life that have been formational in the development of who you are, who you've come to be. Now, these often show up in the form of a fork in a road. Those, it could be an event, a person, a circumstance that suddenly it set you off on a new direction because you learned something about yourself. It made you realize something about life or about other people. And invariably, it shaped how your romantic life was shaped after that or your money story. But actually, your money story is shaped more so in your childhood and your relationship with your parents and their relationship to money and the examples that you saw growing up. But even so, even though it originated earlier in childhood, there are still three to five significant events where you made decisions about money, about how much you can receive, what your capacity to earn was, your ability to attract money, how hard or easy was it to bring money in. That money story shapes your entire financial future. And by and large, it was created when you were a child. Which, for better or worse, also applies to other aspects of our self-concept. But there were events, there were, there were things that happened in our life, stories we tell about why we are the way we are, about why life is the way it is, how we ended up in a particular city, how we ended up you know, losing our job or getting the promotion, whatever your current station in life is. You have a story about why and how you got to where you are. And this is all fine and hunky-dory when things are working out, when it's working out the way you want. But if you have areas of your life, and this is where I would suggest you look first, what are the areas that aren't working out so well? What's the story that you're telling yourself about why that is the way it is? 
what examples do you have? And right now, just identify them. Don't try and, and change them. Oh, you can. But we're going to be getting into that in future episodes. So for right now, if you just want to do, you know, just the basic amount of investigative work, look at what is, what's the dynamic? What's the stories that you're currently telling about why things are the way they are? And here's a secret. Sometimes it's a story you're hiding. It's a truth that you believe about yourself, a story you believe about yourself that you hide that you're slightly ashamed of. And almost as if, you know, if the whole truth come out, if the whole truth was made available to like everybody, then they might think less of me. And we might not necessarily like tell lies in that area, but we might hide the truth. We might avoid talking about that particular area. So to ferret out that unconscious story, the one that plays in the background that governs everything, just make a note of it. Make a note of any area of your life where you might not be as authentic as you could be. You might paint a picture that is a little rosier, a little more beautiful, bright and brilliant than is actually there. Well, let me say this. Not so much that it's not actually there, but you don't feel it's actually there. So you tell or embellish a story to make yourself look good. So let me recap the assignment just so it's clear. Just look at your life and begin looking at the areas that might not be working as well as you would like them to be. So take an accounting, take an inventory of the potential stories that are there. And I say potential because you might not be consciously aware if there's a story or a narrative actually there. So you ask a question like this. If there were a story that would explain this particular circumstance, situation in my life, what might it be? And again, if you're completely truthful with yourself, it may not be that flattering. It may not be something that you'd like to pray about, but you don't have to tell anybody. This is just for your own internal use. So when you take this inventory, you can do so in the privacy of your mind, in your own internal meanderings, or you can begin writing it down. Now, I would say, or I would suggest, stay away from writing down an entire story. I would just write down different aspects of it that you can refer back to that you know, are suggestive of the story that's there. Because the more we tell the story, the more we reinforce it. So we just want to know what's there. And it could be something someone said to you or some explanation or something, some belief that you took on. And a belief is nothing more than really a story that we tell that explains why things are the way they are. A belief is just a story that we tell again and again, and one that we feel fairly certain is true. Now, a bigger story can be made up of several beliefs, but right now, you're just taking a small inventory of some of the, some of the things, some of the ideas that you're telling yourself in these particular areas. With the background understanding that these stories, these narratives that you've been telling are not the truth. It just happens to be the way you've been describing things. And as a consequence, that's the way the future has unfolded because of the story that you've been telling. We will be talking about telling a different story. But for now, just identify the stories that you're currently telling. Now, the second half of this assignment 
Assignment. Oh, that, you know, assignment sounds so serious, doesn't it? Make it fun, make it fun. An exploration of what might be there. So whichever area that you've identified that could be better, that is less than stellar for you right now, and that you have an idea, have an indication that there could be a story somewhere underneath that's explaining why things aren't as amazing as they could be. So let's just say for now, it's the area of romance, of partnership, of relationship. If you were to project out for the next two years, five years, given the current circumstances, the current story, what is predictable about your relationship? If things stay the way they are, if you continue to tell the same story, what is the predictable, almost certain future? That is another way of zeroing in on the story that you may be telling, that you're not quite aware that you're telling about that particular area of life. And if you're up for it, here's the bonus assignment. Project out five years on the relationship, say, we'll just use relationship for now, or the career, job, health, status, whatever. Project out three to five years ideal situation, the ideal circumstance that you could be and would want. What would be the story that you would have to tell that would lead you to that result? That's a bonus. What would be the story that you would tell that would be compelling enough, that would be transformative enough to end up at that place in two to five years as being inevitable based on the story that you're telling today? And that story is generative in nature. That story you tell today or the new story that you're telling will generate the possibility, will generate the intention, the ideal relationship that you see, you know, three to five years out, that is inevitable given the new story that you're telling, independent of how whatever circumstances are today. You're telling a story that's generative that will generate a whole new reality. And even though it doesn't feel true at the moment, by telling it again and again, and telling it as if it was true and will be true, you will create the outcome you desire. So it's, it's not just telling the story, but it's living the story as if it's true. And again, you don't have to implement this story right away. Right now, we're just entertaining ideas. We're looking, we're, we're investigating on where are the stories, what are the stories in our life? Where are we limiting ourselves, and where are we actually telling a story that's phenomenal? Is there an area of your life that's doing phenomenally well? Fantastic. What's the story? How do you explain that? And contrast that, compare it with an area that's not doing quite as well. You know, are you satisfied in that area? Not so much. What's the difference? What's the difference in the area that you're doing really well and the area that you're not doing quite so well? Now, that's a little bit harder to figure out, but it's worth a look, wouldn't you say? Well, that's all I want to leave you with this time. Begin looking at your stories and what are the stories there that you're using to explain why things are the way they are, why you are, why you are the person that you are. This is your host, Daniel Dano V, urging you to follow your bliss, live your life from inner signals, and by all means, live the epic life.